There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 8th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The government is to make €8 billion Euro available to retrofit some 500,000 homes in the country by 2030. The first €352 million is to come on stream this year. And today there's much anticipation ahead of the details of the Home Energy Upgrade Scheme. The Minister for the Environment will announce the scheme. It's expected that Eamon Ryan will say that grants of €25,000 will be available for some households spending about double that on a deep retrofit, but there'll be grants for all types of work that improve the energy ratings of a house. Some works will get grants of up to 80% of the cost. Yesterday, the Taoiseach ruled out any cuts or changes to carbon taxes. Sinn Féin is calling on the government to delay carbon taxes, but Hall Martin says without the carbon taxes there wouldn't be the money to fund energy saving measures like today's retrofitting scheme. Let's speak uh, to Sinn Féin spokesperson for social protection Claire Cran who's a TD for Roscommon and Galway. Good morning to you and thanks indeed uh, for joining Good us morning, on to the programme. Uh, do you welcome uh, the scheme uh, that is uh, to be announced uh, in uh, terms of retrofitting homes around the country today? Yes, absolutely, I do. I, I welcome it wholeheartedly. I mean, pe- people want to do their bit, households want to do their bit, and the difficulty up to now is that they've been so limited in relation to accessing grants and schemes that can assist them in actually retrofitting their home in the first instance. I think up to now, people have relied on the Warmer Home sc- Scheme through the SEI, and with that, you have to have had been receipt, in receipt of fuel allowance. So that was a very limited scheme, and for a lot of people, they had nothing else to access. So we're yet to see the full details of the scheme. Mm-hmm. Obviously, retrofitting your home costs a lot of money and any assistance to help with that has to be welcome. And I look forward to seeing the details of the scheme later today. Yeah, there's a, a lot uh, to discover as yet uh, and much anticipation. Uh, and I'm sure people will be watching it very closely through the day. But if it's a scheme that you welcome, do you accept what the Taoiseach said about how to fund it uh, and that energy or carbon taxes are, are necessary in order to fund these energy saving schemes? Well, I'm glad that we're now ring-fencing the carbon tax to take measures like this. Our difficulty with the carbon tax, and look, before this increase at all, the carbon tax was taken in about 650 million. 
that's fine and that should be ring-fenced and it should be used to do whatever needs to be done. What we're saying very clearly is that should not be increased and and I don't believe it's reasonable to keep piling on the carbon tax while so few alternatives are out there and especially this year. People are paying energy bills now that they've never paid as high before. We've seen home heating oil increase by over 70%. Last year alone, there was over 35 price hikes by energy providers. People are really struggling. But if a a crude barrel of oil costs X, uh, well then the only way of reducing the cost of the household is to use less oil. Uh, And that's what these retrofitting schemes are are about. Uh, But how long is that going to take? Well, this is a chicken and egg situation, is it not? Well, which comes for first? Someone, well, for someone struggling today, a low-income household or older people in an old house, which typically they have older, colder houses, they're the households that have to pay for more heat because they require more heat because of the house they're in. And the situation now is, in less than three months' time, no matter what's announced in relation to what's been looked at now, emergency measures-wise, bills are going to increase further. And the further increase on carbon tax is going mm. to be a fillet tank of oil increased by nearly €20 Euro and gas up mm. by 16.95. That is going to have an impact whatever way we put it. And what's welcome today in relation to retrofitting, that's not going to be done in houses tomorrow. So they are going to continue to pay really high bills and struggle and mm. people are struggling. That's okay. the reality. Just going back to the Taoiseach's comments yesterday, he says uh, that the carbon taxes are having little or, or no impact uh, on uh, the cost of energy, but the money that is raised is significant in terms of funding schemes like this. And the amount of money that's being spent this year is very small comparative uh, in relation uh, to the ambition. 350 million compared to 8 billion. So there's a lot more money to raise. And with Without uh, raising it through carbon taxes, how do you propose uh, that these schemes are funded? Uh, and isn't it unusual that that money in relation to what's going to be taken in by carbon tax between 2020 and 2030 is going to increase and increase and increase? Surely if the whole point of the carbon tax is to get people to move away from fossil fuels and to actually look and get the alternatives, that money shouldn't be increasing. If we're changing people's behaviour, it shouldn't increase within the next decade. It should actually reduce because we're supposed to be moving people onto all the alternatives. So that that's one question that strikes very odd to me if it is a behavioural tax, which is, it is supposed to be. And in relation to how we pay for it, we aren't saying get rid of the carbon tax. The carbon tax is there. It takes in $650 million a year. That should remain. We're saying it shouldn't be further increased when many of the alternatives simply do not exist. And look, who does this impact? Like the increase mm. in the carbon tax only, only impacts people who can least afford it. If you have loads of money, you can buy your electric car, you can install the solar panels. If you don't have money, you'll have less money now because you're going to be spending more on fuel. And that's the problem. And I don't, it doesn't make sense to me how the carbon tax receipts will keep increasing. Mm. If people are supposed to be changing and going to alternatives, how okay. will it keep going up then? Okay, let's say you can insulate uh, your home for €600. Euro. Uh, and the cost of energy over the course of the year is going to increase by €800. Euro. Uh, does that not make it affordable for people? Oh, if people can retrofit, if people can make those changes to their homes, and another point I've always made is we can't keep increasing the fuel allowance. They can't increase forever to help those people that are really struggling. So we do need to focus on the retrofit, and we're two years into this increase now of carbon mm. tax and this cycle for this decade, and it's welcome that this is happening, and mm. I hope it will work. We want it to work. We want people to have warmer homes so they're not spending as much on energy and therefore the carbon tax increases aren't going to impact them as much. That's what should be happening. Mm, Okay, but can you raise 8 billion uh, between now and 2030 uh, in order to fund these schemes? 
Well, if we stick to the, the carbon tax as is, 666 a year, million, uh, we, we won't be far off it. But again, why would we continue to raise the carbon tax if people are moving to alternatives? It shouldn't keep increasing. That doesn't make any sense to me. And, and what we need to focus on now is those schemes, like public transport, we're not putting the investment, investment from general taxation that should be going into public transport. Mm. Uh, we have a local link service here in the town next to me. They run two days a week. They want to run four days a week. I'm told by the Department and the Minister of Transport, we don't have money. We can't do that. We can't increase it. So that doesn't make any sense either. We're either investing in the alternatives and making them work for people so people have the alternatives or we're not. And by the looks of things, in a lot of cases, we're not. Yeah, That's well, we might be about to change that, uh, and uh, we're ex- well. I don't know, but uh, we, we, so. we we're told that transport is on the cards, and it's one of uh, the ways uh, that the government is looking at reducing the cost of living for people in this country. And uh, undoubtedly, there's an awful lot of people who are finding it very, very difficult, and making very difficult decisions as to eat or heat their home, as uh, so the case may be. And anything that can be done, uh, I'm sure, will uh, not go far enough for many people. Uh, but uh, the government uh, will make uh, this announcement towards the end of uh, the week and transport could be uh, one of uh, those areas uh, along with health and uh, a doubling of uh, that energy credit, that €100 Euro or €113. Euro. They're also talking about uh, the fuel allowance, living alone allowance, uh, qualified child payment, the working family payment. Uh, and uh, at this stage, I think ministers across the board are looking at ways uh, that they could help to put money back into people's pockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, what suggestions have you got for them? Well, we, we've been uh, given suggestions in particular for the last year. I mean, it, last February, we brought forward a dull motion in relation to energy costs. I had looked for a discretionary fund to be established to assist households that don't get the fuel allowance, so they have no assistance at all as regards energy weekly, particularly workers, low and middle income workers can't access the fuel allowance. Mm. The, the Taunish that confirmed to me last week that proposal is now actually on the table and being considered, mm-hmm. and I welcome that. Uh, you'll know last October we brought forward further suggestions after our survey on the cost of living around rent, around energy again, which is obviously a real, real issue. And the fact that we need to start moving towards a living wage as much as possible, because while costs have increased across the board, wages simply haven't kept up. The government have <clears throat> committed to a living wage and we want to see that progress as soon as possible. But we need to see targeted measures right now as quickly as possible. Mm. We, we've been raising the cost of living and the impact it's been having for quite a while. So I'm glad that the penny has finally dropped and now we need to see targeted measures to assist people that need it most. And we need to see that done as quickly as possible. And I think we particularly need to reach those low and middle income households, those people that are getting up early in the morning, going to work, paying their taxes and are really struggling to get by. I mean, that that's not normal and that shouldn't be happening. Mm, it is happening, of course, uh, and uh, there's talk of a hardship fund. Uh, I suppose, uh, like anything else, uh, where's the point of qualifying and not qualifying? Uh, it's not something that uh, applies uh, to people who are surviving off social welfare payments. Uh, I mean, I think that's clear at this stage. As you say, there's many working families who are finding it difficult uh, because of the rate of inflation. Yeah, and that's, and that's the key question, because it is how do you target and how do you look at I mean, where do you draw the line as regards low and middle income? What is low and middle income? There's a lot of that to be worked out. But I think key here is that the government are now looking at it. Measures are coming and that's really, really welcome. 
uh, and, we, and we need to see those measures. And I mean, as regards the fuel allowance, I've heard a lot of talk about extending the fuel allowance mm. season. Now, that's fine. It's currently 28 weeks. It used to be 32. So cuts still haven't been restored in relation to the fuel allowance. But extending it will only extend it for those that are already on it. And one proposal we have put forward is to look at the working family payments for people that are working but they are on such low incomes that they're receiving that working family payment, essentially a top up to four wages. They can't access the fuel allowance, nor can people who are out sick from work on illness benefit. So when it comes to fuel allowance, we want to see them looking at widening that eligibility to reach more households. That can that be it. done without a mini budget? It, it can be done. I, I believe it can be done. And again, if it's not done around the fuel allowance, then mm. we're going to have to look at another scheme. Yeah. I know they have that €100, Euro, but obviously that's for everyone. And we do know there are people out there struggling more than others, and, and that's a fact. But if you make uh, the fuel allowance uh, available to more people, uh, does that not uh, mean a change to the social welfare code? Does that not uh, require a, a vote uh, for legislation to be passed in the doll? I think it could be done on a temporary basis. If it couldn't, we would again say that discretionary fund. I understand they're looking at doing that through the community welfare officers, which will be welcome. And obviously, we're a year putting that forward now. So that is something I think they're calling it a hardship fund. But, but the likes of that, that people can access, we need to get these assistance and supports up and running as quickly as possible. And obviously, it won't be through legislation. So whatever can be done it needs to be done as quickly as possible so people can access it without any further delay because people have suffered you know, greatly mm. throughout this winter period and we are now into the second week in February so we need to see movement on this as quickly as possible. Yeah, there won't be a, an increase in welfare rates for the same reason. Uh, you would need a budget because it would, think, it would no. need to be approved by the Dáil by way of a, a vote in uh, the Dáil. Uh, so there are limitations to what the government can do uh, outside of having a, a budget or a mini-budget uh, but it's in the gift of the government to hold a mini-budget should it do that? Well, look, I mean, I, I suppose it depends what's on the table. I mean, we've heard so many different uh, issues and payments and cuts and, and different things. There's an awful lot on the table and there's been huge speculation in the last week or so. I think a lot of people have been calling it a mini budget given the amount that seems to be on the table. But, but I mean, a lot of that is speculation. I think we need to see what comes. But people are really suffering and I think a mini budget should be on the table because... Obviously, we are facing a cost of living crisis that for a lot of families and households we haven't experienced before and particularly around energy and people are really, really struggling. And as I said, these are people who are working. You know, these are low Mm. and middle income workers as well as as people on social welfare. Okay, and would you encourage people to shop around and to switch energy providers and so forth? people say it's good to change your energy providers if you're with them for a very long time. I mean, it wouldn't be my first piece of advice as regards shopping around, but I think uh, where people can, they should. But what's absolutely uh, first and foremost here is we're in a cost of living crisis. The government need to act. The government are there to govern, to protect the people, and that's what they need to do, and we need to see this as quickly as possible. Mm, Yeah. Um, Sean Fleming advised... uh people to shop around and to switch providers if they could uh, because you can save a a lot of money if you do that. Uh, He seems to uh, be under fire from Sinn Féin describing uh, the Minister as tone deaf. I I think those comments were were really insensitive. I mean, if the comments came on the back of yes, we have a cost of living crisis and yes, we need to do X, Mm. Y and Z, but he didn't and I listened to his interview back last night but he, he didn't seem to grasp that there was such a big issue for people already uh, and had you grasped that uh, and accepted it and then went on to say 
as regards suggestions around changing, but that's not really how, how the interview I felt uh, came across at all at all. And I think, you know, the government are there. They do need to act. People will do their bit. Sure, can't you imagine, like, anyone struggling are doing their bit. They're trying to see, can mm. they save money? You, you've just said the same thing yourself. You've just, you've just encouraged people to shop around and to switch providers if they can mm. in order to save money. You've asked me, should, should people change and switch mm. around? I've, I've said yes. But mm. that doesn't take away from, I'm not coming out on radio making the suggestion people need to switch like he did. You've asked me a direct question, should people mm. switch? I mean, it'd be silly to say. But people no, come out on radio all the time and advise people to switch. Y- yeah, exactly. But he, he didn't acknowledge mm. the cost of living crisis. And I think it wasn't sensitive. And I think it did show a, a real out of touch. I mean, the, the comments were very much people, sh- you know, there shouldn't be, people shouldn't be complaining. Mm. Are you sure Sinn Féin isn't, are you sure if Sinn Féin isn't uh, trying to take political advantage of a, a crisis and people's hardship? Uh, because, I mean, you have websites set up uh, for switching providers, switcher.ie and bonkers.ie, and people are always being told to shop around and it's the best consumer advice you'll ever get, is it not? Yeah, and that's fine. And I have no issue with, with people shopping around or switching. But my point is, we have a cost of living crisis Households, families, workers are really struggling. The government needs to step in now as quickly as possible and we need to see those targeted measures. And if they want to bring in the targeted measures with advice around switching around, which I believe most households will be doing anyway. They're not, you know, they're not sitting back. They're making difficult choices uh, already. And I'm sure many of them are already shopping around. But I think it's insensitive to say to people, don't be complaining, don't be waiting on the government to do something, go and do something yourself without saying yes, we have a cost of living crisis and we are going to act as quickly as possible. That wasn't the impression I got from, from the Minister of State yesterday on radio. OK, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining Thank us you, uh, this morning. Thank you very much. Claire Coran, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on social protection. Michael Reed on LMFM. There's a lot of excitement around Irish soccer at the moment and not just because of the bid for the Euros. Let's talk to Paul Lellan, football correspondent with the Irish Daily Star. And a very good morning, Paul. Thanks morning, indeed for joining us on the programme. The FAI strategy for the next four years looks somewhat ambitious, as does the bid to co-host the Euros 2020. Uh, it seems uh, as though uh, there's uh, a change in mood in our soccer at the moment. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, we had the, uh, the the previous regime that exited Abbottstown, the FAI HQ, three years ago. Uh, interim board came in, then a new board came in. And because of COVID, like every other aspect of our society and globally, of course, uh, things are rather much put on hold. So, you've, funny enough, you've now got a, a sort of a, a number of various issues have, have come to the fore at the one time, as you say, the Euro 2028 bid that was officially launched yesterday with um, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales and England. And then, if you are there, the FEI strategy for the next um, four years up to 2025. So, uh, a lot going on in, in Abbottstown, in the FEI. And yeah, aspects of it undoubtedly, I think, are quite ambitious, uh, but fair to say he's got to set yourself targets to, to do anything in life some of the some of the things in the um, uh, in the strategy plan to 2025 are realizable and uh, I actually think the euro 2028 bid is probably one that the five associations can feel re- relatively confident uh, about winning mm, incredible but less ambitious obviously than the world cup bid which which I 
Yeah, I, I, this comes down these things. Uh, the, the votes for major sporting events, and we've seen it, and we've seen the, the, the fallout from from the Olympic Games votes and for World Cup votes, and not so much European Championship votes. We've never had any suggestions that European Championship votes were that there was uh, any skullduggery going on. But we've seen what's happened on, on the Olympics and the World Cups. It's politics with small P and a large P that decide these things. And I go back to 20 years ago, I covered the big by the Scottish-Irish uh, associations to host co-host Euro 2008, which was a very good bid. Um, uh, there was plenty of um, stadia available here and, and in Scotland for it. Crow Park would have been uh, used. The Aviva would have opened two years earlier. But when it came to it, the, the Irish and Scots were hammered in the in the corridors of power. And the, a decision had been taken at the top end of UEFA that it was going to go to uh, Austria and um, Switzerland. And all the, the, the power brokers were behind that. Mm. And the rest didn't stand a chance. Whereas on this occasion, there is a strong wind behind the, say, let's call it the Anglo-Celtic bid, Celtic bid on this. So uh, I think the, there's a reasonable chance because it's a fairly limited field. Okay, if it, if, if it is to be successful from an Irish perspective, uh, what does that mean, uh, do you think, Paul? Will the Irish government have to get its checkbook out uh, and deal uh, with uh, whatever problems there might be in terms of stadia and infrastructure? There will be a small amount, but not, not huge money. UEFA itself, because it, it, the, the money made from these tournaments is vast. Uh, the profits... Uh, pr- uh, projection for the euros in two years' time in Germany is over a billion euro. That's that's the profit that's it's anticipated from mm. from the the next. Year. So if you, you you can take with a bit of inflation, with a, big, a few bigger deals, it's going to be at least the same in 2028. So you you would pay in the millions needed to update the grounds. There is not that much needed to do in, in either Croke Park or TV because they're both very modern grounds. You're talking probably maybe a million or two here or there. It's it's small fry compared to the, the income that UEFA will get. The government, yes, probably put in maybe some extra added infrastructure, but again, relatively small because, as we've seen, Dublin now has a, a huge number of hotels. The, uh, the the rail infrastructure has improved, the bus infrastructure. So you're for, for talking for six, eight, maybe ten games. Mm. It's not a major uh, operation to do it anymore. It would have been 20, 30, 40 years ago, right. but not anymore. And uh, but the Irish Sea hamper uh, a- a- any bids uh, across uh, the two islands? Not really. I think what would happen is you would have a, a group uh, of four based here. Uh, definitely. So that's that would be six games in, in group stage. Uh, you would possibly get uh, another few games, uh, two, three, four games in the, in the knockout phases. There is talk that the opening game could be played in Crowe Park because it has the capacity uh, of over 70, about 75,000 when you put seats mm. into it, into Hill 16. And that would be a, a, a standout event. Uh, the opening game in any uh, tournament is always a, a huge event. And there's the possibility of that because I think you would probably see the semi-finals being played in um, in Glasgow or, or Edinburgh and, and in, in, in Cardiff with the final in Wembley. So uh, you could maybe get a few extra games in another group Again, with with um, modern uh, you know communications and transport, yeah. flights, uh, uh, ferries, it's it's not a major job to get from Liverpool to, to Dublin or from Glasgow to to Dublin. 
Yeah, and uh, I suppose then, uh, when you compare it with other bids, uh, you'll see uh, <laughs> similar uh, oceans uh, between uh, Portugal and Morocco. Spain, Portugal, and Morocco uh, would uh, be the strongest contender at this stage, would it? Uh, well, they're going. For, they're talking about going for the for the uh, the World Cup in 2013, and again, that comes down to politics, which I mentioned earlier, because uh, as you said, Michael, the the original plan was for the the, the, the bid from these islands was mm. for the World Cup. But UEFA at the top level wants to push either Portugal and Spain on their own or this uh, bid that would take in Morocco as well. They face, whatever bid it is, those two or three countries, they face a huge battle to beat the Chinese who want to host 2030. And also for sentimental reasons and for good sporting reasons as well, there is a push to bring it back to Uruguay because Uruguay hosted the first uh, finals in 1930 so there's a feeling that uh, Uruguay and Argentina should host the Centenary World Cup in 2030. But part of the, the Irish, English, Scots and Welsh and Northern Irish bid uh, going for 2028 is a, is a uh, fallout from the, the, the Spanish-Portugal bid getting a free uh, run for, for the World Cup. So it's between the bid from these islands, the Turks are in again. Uh, they're... Uh, they're, they're Policies, uh, you know, don't go down politically. Don't go down too well. On this is on the on the political level. Don't go down too well with a lot of other European governments and European football bodies. So they are hampered by that. There is another more cumbersome bid from uh, proposed bid from Serbia, Romania, uh, Greece, and Bulgaria, which covers a huge geographical area. There's an awful lot of work to be done, and the profits that either the Turkish or mm. the bid from the Balkan region wouldn't go anywhere clear, close to what the, the profits you, we talk about from a, a, a tournament from these islands. OK, before we get to any of uh, that, uh, the FAI is hopeful that uh, the men's senior team uh, will qualify for the European Championships in 2024 and that the women's team will be at the World Cup next year or the Euros in 2025. Uh, do you think uh, that that amb- ambition will be realised, Paul? Well, on, on the women's front, the, the, the still in contention in the current World Cup, which the qualifying phase is on at the moment, is a very tough group. Uh, and but the, there's a good chance to finish second. Then, if they finish second in the group, to go into a very convoluted playoff system, that would be tough to get through. Probably the more re- realistic proposition is to get to the Euro finals in 2025, which I think is is quite realisable. And uh, I think, given the way that the team has improved in the last few years. That's a target that they should really um, should really meet, and I, I I think it would be disappointing if they didn't get to the Euros in three years' time. The men's team, if disappointed um, in the last World Cup campaign, uh, disappointed when it came to the playoffs for the last Euros, which were postponed for a year to last to last summer. So there is a bit of pressure on that to get to the, the Euro- European finals in two, in two years. So I think the, the, the decent chance of getting there. Um, but they still need to unearth one or two strikers, probably another midfielder or two. Defensively, they're better than they were. Stephen Kenny has sorted that aspect of the team out. The team is a better shape about it now, so and a better purpose. They've won a few games, which also also injects confidence. But a bit of work to be done yet, Michael. But mm-hmm. I, I'd be upbeat that Euro 2024 for the men and um, Euro 2025 for the women. 
should be secured. Very good. Paul, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Good to talk to you. Paul Lennon, football correspondent with uh, the Irish Daily Star. Now, thanks uh, to Seamus in Dundalk, who's been on the phone to us. Seamus says, I need to use fossil fuels to heat my home. It's the only heating I have. I don't have any option. Uh, I don't have spare money to change that. So am I going to be taxed to the hilt with carbon taxes and price increases to heat my home if I can't afford it? Uh, Are we going to be left cold? Uh, Thanks, uh, Seamus, for that. I I think uh, yes is the answer. Uh, Watch out for those announcements today. Maybe there's something in that for you that maybe uh, you'd be able to insulate your home so that you'd use less of those fossil fuels. And I think that's part of the idea. Although there will be problems and there are, there is no doubt there will be problems. Mary Androhada says, Michael, I would like more details on what exactly retrofitting involves. Are people being asked to change their heating systems? What happens if you can't afford this? Uh, Thanks, Mary. Uh, Well, there's all sorts uh, from insulating your attic to insulating your walls to putting in heat pumps uh, and everything. When they talk about uh, this cost of €50,000, that's uh, nuts and bolts, bells and whistles and everything uh, that you can possibly think of uh, changing from all of the insulation to the way you heat your home and all of that. Uh, But uh, you'll probably get a a lot more detail uh, and a bit more understanding of it all uh, throughout the day when we hear about the grants, whether that's for solar energy or for new doors or whatever the case may be. Uh, But uh, thanks indeed uh, for your call if you have been in touch with us so far today. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Single-sex schools are outdated and they should be done away with. In 10 years from now, all primary schools should be co-ed and in 15 years from now, uh, you should have boys and girls in all secondary schools in uh, this country. That's uh, according uh, to the Labour Party. Its spokesperson on education is Aon Reardon, who's on the line with us now. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme. As always, you have very good reasons for making this case Uh, but there's a lot of people who will have what they would consider to be very good reasons on the other side of this debate. I think you've probably opened up a can of worms here. Well that's fair enough but I think we have to ask why we are creating a contrived environment for our young people. It is contrived to have all boys in, in one building and all girls in another. Now I understand the reasons behind this dynamic. I was a principal of an all-girls school myself. All my brothers went to all-boys schools. I didn't, but they did. And, uh, and my dad taught in an all-boys school for all his career. So I, I understand where people are coming from. It tends to be tradition. People can be quite defensive of the school they went to themselves, and I get all that. However, we have to really double down and ask ourselves, you know, do we always have to accept what we have been handed down through the generations? And in Ireland, outside of the Arab world, we are extremely unusual in the number of single gender schools we have. We have almost 20% of our primary school children attending um, single gender primary schools and at second level one third of our young people go to single gender secondary schools. Now um, the reasons for that are historic and we have the influence of religion over education in Ireland but we don't have to always accept that and we have to you know really analyze what is it that is benefiting anybody from keeping our young people apart and to be honest in the modern era when we're trying to um to uh, promote gender equality better understanding uh, between the genders promote women's rights uh, it is harder to do that in a scenario where we you know mm. uh, place our young people in different buildings for for no good reason my daughter's three and a half i don't really like the idea that 
at age four or five when she goes to primary school, she has to be all of a sudden acutely aware of her gender or that, that she has to have that conversation when she's in second level because, okay. uh, because the only school available to her locally would be a, would be a, 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 an all-girls school. So, okay, but when she's 25, uh, would it be wrong for her to want uh, a girl's night out? Or when she's 15, uh, should she be worried about being popular with the boys in her school if she's in a co-ed school? Well, what I would say is that the Department of Education have had this uh, policy since 1998. They haven't given uh, any new school sanction or recognition since 1998. So it's effectively the last 25 years it has been Department of Education policy. But what I would say say to what you're saying there is Mm. people can make their own views, you know, make their own decisions in their own own free time as to who they want to spend time with. It's very different when you have state-funded institutions which are you know, charged with the responsibility of instilling values and uh, and reflecting uh, the wider values. Of, okay, but there's two uh, very serious the issues that I raised there that could impact on that. One is uh, that some people feel comfortable in the company of their own gender, whether they're boys or, or girls. Uh, and then there's also the issue of being popular with the boys, which is another way of saying distraction. Uh, distraction in, 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 in an education setting that people would be distracted by uh, showing off to the other genders and being popular right. with the boys, if you like. Well, we, you know, I don't think that staff at second level school I think that's probably an issue at, uh, in third level institutions it's probably an, a, an issue right throughout people's lives if I was to say that we should have or anybody was to say we should have single girl or single boy crashes people would think that that was a ridiculous idea and certainly at third level as well we have contrived this scenario and found reasons as to, in order to, to support it that don't really stand up to scrutiny. If I was to say that it's a, it's a parent's right to, to want an all-white school mm. or, uh, or whatever else, or a school for only able-bodied children, I think people would find that hard to uh, argue in favour of. I don't understand why we have decided as a country that the genders are so important to maintain uh, by themselves that they can't mix. And it's it, what happens at the second level in particular, it does lead to gender stereotypes. It does lead to restricted subject choice, not in every school, but in some. And I don't think it, it, it leads to a better understanding within uh, the genders and within young people if we keep them separate. And no other European country does it to the level that we do. Mm. I'm not sure I can disagree with you, but I think that there's probably many who will uh, and who will look to their own experience. And uh, as I said earlier, I may have opened up a can of worms on this. And uh, uh, in particular uh, with uh, girls, uh, there's uh, a lot of people would argue that going to an all-girls school uh, allows young girls uh, to feel that they're in a safe space for learning. Well, you know, again, that is the responsibility of the teacher at the top of the class to create that safe space, the principal at the school to create that safe space. Every every boy is different, every girl is different. I've heard this argument before mm. that, you know, girls and somehow uh, are shyer or, or, you know, are, are less confident coming forward. There's any amount of boys who are, who are similar to that. It's the responsibility of the of the school environment in order to, in, you know, empower young people, as as is the case at third level as is the case, you know, for the rest uh, of people's work lives. I, I, I think sometimes when we're trying to properly investigate um, gender inequality, the reasons as to why, you know, not enough TDs are women, not enough people in a high level of, of, of authority in business are women, not enough, you know, of the faces we see on television or here on radio are women, um, you know, this is a dynamic that we have, to, we, have to, we have to challenge and investigate. And again, if we're trying to do that, Having so many of our second level schools where we tell young people at age 12 or 13 that they need to go to a different building because they're different, I don't think really helps that conversation. Um, 
So that's what we're yeah. trying to do in the Labour Party. Certainly at primary yeah. level, I think it is realistic within 10 years that we can achieve this, and at second level within 15 years. We're doing that. We, we put in that time scale in order to allow the conversation to take place. And Often, the other hand, you, you, yeah. you may hear from people who would be worried about boys uh, who may feel that they won't be able to express themselves as they would otherwise if uh, they weren't in a class with girls, uh, boys who might be interested in song or dance or drama uh, and uh, could end up being teased either by the other boys or the girls uh, in the classroom because of... Uh, the difference between the two genders, but but, the, but again, and stereotyping, are, albeit, but you know, yeah, but again, we are we are we are contriving a a fake scenario. We are contriving a fake scenario where all boys must be together, and all girls must be together. You know what I mean? It's it's contrived. It's not real. Mm. The real world is where genders mix and engage with each other, and learn from each other, and are friends with each other, and work with each other. Uh, and have and have different dynamics. That's the real world. That's what life is like. To pretend that girls are so different that they must be educated in a different space, or boys are so different that they must be educated in a different space, you know, is a very outdated uh, viewpoint. There used to be a viewpoint that you had to educate travellers separately because you know that mm-hmm. was just the way it must must be. Or in America, it was good for African Americans that they were uh, educated separately. Okay, but going go, going back to the idea of a, a young girl now when they're twenty five wanting to go on a, a girls' night out, it's not all the time that people mix or want to mix. And sometimes the girls want to be with the girls, and the boys want to go to a, a match or whatever, and the boys be with the boys. Yeah, but this is state funded education and the state is, is you know in, in mm. funding education has to promote equality as is reflected by the constitution and, uh, and the laws of the land it's hard to justify you know this contrived scenario where, where people are being told that it's legitimate that only boys or only girls can attend this uh, institution and I understand that people will have uh, very fond memories of their own school days that they want the school that they went to remain the same that they want their children to go to school they went to I understand all that yeah. but in the final analysis in Ireland having so many schools that are that are separating young people on the basis of their gender doesn't really stand up to any kind of scrutiny as to what is good for them socially what is good for them educationally and I think if we're serious about promoting this idea of gender equality which, which I believe we do now finally are at that space in Ireland where we can talk about it properly education seems to be the last area that we genuinely want to see change. We, mm. you know, People are talking about yep. uh, commercial boards, we're talking about women in politics, we're talking about women in sport, but this gender inequality in education seems to be the last thing we, we genuinely want to talk about and I think mm. we need to do it. Fair enough and you may be right, but I have a feeling that we are really only at the beginning of a conversation that uh, you've uh, just started by making these suggestions and thank you indeed uh, for talking to us about them on the programme this morning. That's uh, Labour's spokesperson on education, Aon O'Reardon. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, just uh, some comments on single-sex schools or co-ed schools. Uh, Maria from County Louth says, both my primary and secondary schools were single-sex schools and it was always very intense, I feel, because it was all girls. The bitchiness that went on was unbelievable. I didn't realise then the difference of a co-ed school and how that could impact until I became a teacher, that is, and getting a job in a mixed school. I think it is far healthier uh, on 
so many fronts. The boys and the girls bring a different dimension to the classroom and it is good to see the mix uh, and see them mix really as friends and learn from one another and how to respect each other's point of view. Thank you, Maria in County Louth. Uh, thanks as well to Maureen in Drogheda, who was also on the phone to us. And she says, I thought Labour were all about free choice, but now they want to take away our right to send our children to a single sex school, if that is what they want to do. Uh, my three daughters went to all girls schools for both primary and secondary, and they've turned into well-grounded, uh, well-rounded adults. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with mixed schools, but surely it's all about choice. And I disagree that every single sex school should be stamped out altogether. Well, thanks for telling us, Maureen, and uh, for your call for that matter. And if you haven't been in touch with us as yet and you would like to comment on the programme, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Now, let's uh, talk about uh, the cost of living once again and how you can bring down uh, the cost of living because God knows it's going through the roof. Well, Sean Fleming is in hot water. The Minister of State at the Department of Finance was on RTE Radio yesterday uh, and he's had to apologise since then because he annoyed a lot of people by saying that they should shop around and switch providers if they want to bring down the cost of living. He did say it in the context of instead of just complaining about the government, you should shop around and switch providers, energy providers and such like uh, to reduce uh, the cost of your bills. He since apologised saying, I I did not intend to imply that people shouldn't complain about the cost of living. That was my intention and I apologise for that. Uh, I was urging people to shop around for the best value. And I don't know, but maybe he has a good argument there. Let's talk to Michael Kilcoyne, who's the chairperson of the Consumers Association, Consumers Association of Ireland. Good morning to you, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Good morning us to you, Mike. Uh, I think you'd uh, agree with the thrust of what the minister was saying. Uh, there is uh, some uh, argument to be made uh, in advising people to shop around, because quite a lot of people don't, although there's a lot of people uh, who know the price of everything and know where the cheapest uh, bargains are. But... Uh, I mean, you've got all of uh, these websites set up uh, for people to switch energy providers and and so on. That's to help people to do it. Uh, And a lot of people are amazed at the savings that they can find. Well, indeed, uh, Mike, and good morning to you and your listeners. But I I have often said um, that people should shop around. And yes, that's a core principle. People should shop around um, where there is competition and all that kind of stuff. and uh, I, I, I don't know if I ever heard the minister coming out and supporting me in what I said in relation to shopping around. However, it's very hard to shop around for a government when you've only the one, you know. Um, and and uh, I suppose that's really what's uh, annoying people. And um, there are many of uh, the things that are causing uh, people pain uh, and that they can't make ends meet is as a direct result of the government policy. Uh, and successive policies, for example, um, uh, on taxation, mm. um, the, the, uh, for example, um, the cost of, of electricity is at an all-time high. It doesn't matter where you shop around or uh, where you shop around for your petrol or diesel. The fact is that all of these um, commodities has increased in price. But what has also increased in price or increased is the amount of taxation that government gets off these things. So when you when you buy, um, um, you use your electricity, 
there's thirteen and a half percent VAT. You cannot shop around and get get VAT at a lower rate somewhere else. It's thirteen yeah. percent on the so- on it and all. It's thirteen percent on every euro. Every time it goes up a, a euro Correct. or ten euro, every, it's thirteen. Every time it goes up a euro, yeah. there's an yeah. extra thirteen and a half percent going to the government. Mm. Uh, I have over the last number of months uh, said that government should should. Um, 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 reduce the price on the vet that's been charged on mm. these services. But there is like, a, a European uh, directive on, on that. Uh, well, I, you see, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. But that, but um, that's that, that's the situation, isn't it? I mean, that there's a standard rate and two reduced rates in every European no, no, country. No, 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 no. Why is the vet rate in Britain across the water? 20%. Mm. The vet rate here is 23%. Mm. Um, oh, it varies uh, different, it varies greatly across Europe. Uh, but you have to have uh, a... a, a yeah, of course. But we reduced the VAT rate here, and rightly so, for the hospitality industry, mm. from 13.5% to 9%. Mm. Uh, that's because that's I, one I, of I the reduced rates. That. If if you, if you reduce the rate, uh, then that rate has to be reduced not just to electricity, but to everything that that rate applies to. No, not at all. 13.5% applied in the hospitality industry, um, uh, uh, but that was reduced to 9%. Why can't why can't the rate be reduced on energy to nine percent or, or lower? Why did some other member states in the European Union suspend um, VAT off essential services like energy for for two months there before Christmas? Um, we can do these things if we want to do them, but uh, it just takes a bit of uh, of, uh, of foresight to do them. I, I think you need it, Eric. I mean, my, my understanding of it is is that the European directive is that there's a standard rate of VAT and two reduced rates and uh, to change that uh, and stay in line with uh, European laws, you, you need a, a derog- derogation in order to be able to do it. Uh, well, well, just Mike, talking for the plain people of Ireland, mm. um, the European Union said that, that um, um, a certain multinational owed 12 billion euro to the Irish government and the Irish government... Uh, Said, oh no, they don't, and 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 they went to court to 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 try and prove that it wasn't owed. Mm. So it, it seems to me that there's one law for the wealthy and wealthy corporations in this country, and there's another law for the poor people. Mm. I do not accept that they cannot change on an interim basis the vet rate on energy and home heating oil, mm. on electricity and home heating oil. They can do it. Yes, they can. How did they do it for the? Uh, the the hospitality industry. Mm, okay, um, you you know uh, as well that if uh, somebody has had uh, the same uh, electricity provider for the last uh, five years, that they're probably a bit of a, a mug, and they're they're paying far more than they should. Uh, yes, I I have said this many times. There, there is nothing new in in, mm. in 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 what the minister said. There's nothing new in that. But 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 I think um, what people are expecting the minister to do is to, to take some initiative um, to reduce the cost of living, even on a temporary basis, mm. for mm. people who find themselves. I I know people who are on two hundred and eight euro a week disability allowance, two hundred and eight euro a week and um, job seekers allowance, and. Um, people who are on fixed uh, income on their pensions sure, sure they c- just can't make ends meet hmm. um, it, it, it's as simple as all of that like yeah, and, and you've so been a, a tim- you've been an advocate for consumers uh, for many years at this stage Michael uh, uh, it's a, a long time it's 20-30 years since we've had any inflation to talk of uh, and it's a long time since we've seen prices soar at this rate where suddenly uh, normal everyday things 
groceries, uh, turning on the heat and so on has become unaffordable. They change by the some of them are changing by the day, uh, and certainly by the week. But, but it's okay to sh- say shop around. And yes, of course, people should shop around. The fact is that 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 some of the, um, 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 the charges that make up these prices, um, they're fixed. They're fixed by government. Mm. You can't. You you just can't shop around. And I'm saying that government, in the case of essential, clear and uh, essential. Products like home heating oil, like electricity, the vat rate should be reduced on them. Mm-hmm. Other member states in the European Union, yes, there has to be VAT. But what? The, the European Union directive doesn't say whether the VAT shall be 1% or 21%. No. The VAT rate mm-hmm. in many of the European, mm-hmm. we're at the highest. Mm-hmm. I, I think the highest is about 27 or 28%, yeah, by the way. Go, and, and it goes down to about 17 or 18%. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're at the higher end. Mm. Uh, no, this flat rate on, on, on 9% was introduced on the hospitality industry. I mean, these in- price increases didn't start this week. These have been going on for months. Why didn't we apply for, to the European Union and say, sorry, this is what we're doing? Mm. Uh, I, and, uh, and I seek that derogation. Correct. 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 Okay. And it's time, it's time we stop being being the good boys, nodding ahead all the time, and crucifying our people and leaving them in poverty. I mean, just look look at the cost of of, of housing for people. The greatest scandal that's coming down the, 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 the line this year is going to be housing and the number of people that will be on the streets. Mm. No local authority housing, prices gone off the rails, where you broadcast there, uh, in your area, Mike, there is no rent control. Landlords can charge what they like. Big corporations can charge what they like. Yes, there's a certain amount of control in the cities like Dublin, Cork, mm. Watford, Limerick and Galway. Yeah. No, I think most of our, our towns uh, are in uh, rent pressure zones at this stage. Uh, I think just, Correct. Mm. But, but government isn't doing anything about it. Mm. I know people, I have seen documents where people have got out of some landlords increasing their rent by 60%. Think Sean Fleming is doing anything about it? Or Michal Merton? Mm, well. <laughs> or Leo Varecker? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think uh, that's um, <laughs> something that shouldn't be happening, but certainly if it's a rent pressure zone uh, and uh, it's something uh, that... Uh, but they haven't defined, they've only defined rent pressure zones as being in three or four cities. I think they're, in, they're, they're, they're wider spread than that, Michael. Well, tell me where they are. Okay, well, they're right across the country. No, they're not. They're all rent pressure zones, but there is no control. Mm, okay, well, that's a different thing. If people are breaking the law, that's a, a different no, no, thing. No, but no, it shouldn't there be increasing no by more saying, than 2%. There is no law saying, mm. like that you can't increase uh, the rent by whatever you like in places like Mayo, Sligo, okay. Donegal, Loud. Oh, and across across Loud, uh, there uh, most uh, of uh, the county would be covered by rent pressure zones, uh, but perhaps different in Sligo and Donegal. Michael, I accept that. Michael, good to talk to you, and thank you indeed uh, for good joining to talk us. To you, Mike. Thank you very much indeed, Michael Kilcoyne, the chairperson of uh, the Consumers Association of Ireland. 
heard in uh, the headlines earlier on how uh, the Minister for Defence Simon Coveney is uh, to be in front of an Oireachtas committee today. He'll be taking questions on a barbecue that took place uh, during COVID restrictions. Uh, the Irish Times is reporting on this today and about 40 members of uh, the Defence Forces gathered at McKee Barracks for what was described as a morale booster. This was at a time when gatherings should have been limited to 15 people or less. Uh, there were 40 members of uh, the army at uh, this gathering. It's now the subject of an external re- review and they'll be looking at a, a lot of things including uh, the amount of alcohol that was consumed and as the Irish Times reports today that during the evening an officer allegedly tried to grope a female subordinate's breast after he became extremely drunk. It's the latest allegation of sexual abuse in the Defence Forces and this comes ahead of a Sinn Féin motion to the Dáil this evening which will be calling for a full statutory inquiry into allegations of abuse, harassment, sexual harassment sexual abuse and repercussions following engagement with the internal system of righting a wrong in the defence forces amongst other things. The Sinn Féin motion has the support of the Women of Honour group. Diane Byrne is a retired army captain and a spokesperson for for Women of Honour and on the line with us. And a very good morning to you, Diane, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, you'll, morning. Be, you'll be asking the government to support this motion, uh, but the Minister seems to be taking a, a completely different route. Absolutely. Um, as things stand at the moment, um, there is a review process um, going forward um, into the issues that we have raised, and we just don't believe that's fit for purpose for what's really needed at this stage. Okay, and that undoubtedly a, a disappointment to you because uh, you've had a, 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 a you've had to take a, a long road in getting to this point. Uh, making your complaints could not have been easy for you. Absolutely not. Um, we have countless people who have raised issues um, around initial incidents, the inappropriate incidents that occur, but the prolonged um, and horrific bullying that happens for years afterwards until ultimately a lot of people feel that they are driven out of the Defence Forces. So individually, um, Women of Honour, um, the group and a huge number besides um, have fought individually to have their own situations addressed. And in recent months, um, the Women of Honour came together to collectively try and, and get somewhere with these issues. Um, and we've worked with government and, and we didn't get anywhere on this issue. So we've engaged with opposition parties and independent um politicians to just see if if we can get some traction and to get real change. We've had these reviews before. We had the Tom Clonan report 20 years ago. None of this is is new. They're well aware of all of our individual cases. Um, So what we need now is is a different approach to get a different result. A lot of us were surprised uh, to see you walk out of a, a meeting with Simon Coveney. You obviously hit a brick wall. We did, we did. We had hoped, um, we had a meeting before Christmas and we had been advised that um, he would reconsider his position or even consider a twin track approach because this review has been proposed in relation to um, a duty of care that he believes he has, which he absolutely does, but uh, we're not necessarily in agreement that you need to do a review to carry out your duty of care as an employer. But he had advised that he would consider a twin track approach where the statutory investigative process 
which would have real kind of powers, uh, could compel people, would get to the real heart of the issues that we have raised, would happen in tandem, but that's now not the case. So mm. once we once that became apparent, there was no point in continuing on with the meeting. Uh, a duty of care as a, an employer to personnel in uh, the employment of the state. Uh, what would you say about uh, that level of care? Because uh, it, it would seem from how you've described life in the Defence Forces as a woman, uh, that it's not just a a place where you're not necessarily welcome. Uh, It's a place that could be considered to be dangerous for women, is it? It can be, um, and that's a huge part of the issue. Like Men and women are, are absolutely affected, and we wouldn't take that from our male colleagues, but disproportionately so women are, are in a very difficult and very vulnerable position. So you're heavily reliant on trust and you know the integrity and the honour of the people that you work with. So it, it, there are huge countless situations that we are very aware of, right up to rape, where people have been violently um, assaulted, um, where they've been dealt with in a manner that is absolutely inappropriate and entirely unsafe. Um, but really, the issue comes afterwards, and, and the commonality across all victims is the manner in which they're dealt with after they make their complaint, mm. after they've raised these issues. And that's when the real problems and the real hurt starts, because you can't begin to heal from anything that you have suffered if there is no proportionate response and you're, you're basically coerced into dropping your complaint. And have people been coerced into dropping complaints? Oh, absolutely. Countless people have been asked and pushed or told. We've had we've had situation where people have been raped and told, ah, listen, get on with it, it's Grant. Really? You know, this is too much of, of a hassle for us to be dealing with. So, you know, the, the appetite isn't there for whatever reason to actually bring perpetrators to justice. Mm. Instead, the victims are re-victimised over and over because it's a headache people don't want to deal with. That's quite unbelievable. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like one of the most disrespectful things I could think of anybody saying to another person and in the Defence Forces where respect should be promoted. Absolutely. You know, we have people who are struggling years later to deal with the manner in which that they were dealt with when they raised the issue. So you're dealing with the initial trauma, mm. but then you're dealing with the, the the abuse that you receive afterwards to the point that, you know, whether it's irrespective of whether you're believed, this isn't about belief, this is about an appropriate response where there is an investigation um, and there is uh, people are addressed afterwards. But because mm. you're inside of a chain of command, it, it's all subject to their own rules and their own laws, and we need that taken out of the chain of command so right can prevail, and powers and abuse of powers can't can't prevail in these instances. Yeah. Is it fixable? I mean, it sounds like it's systemic, it's cultural, whatever way you want to put it. I know one of the things uh, that uh, you're um, suggesting is the way that it would be investigated would be different, uh, but whether it's investigated by the Gardaí rather than the military police, uh, are you going to still have these problems if it's so deeply rooted in the culture of the Defence Forces? Well, you're going to have them if you don't truly understand what they are and, and work on a, on a proper solution. Um, and that's the issue with the review that's put forward. It's not really going to get truly into the heart of understanding the problem. Like Everything can be fixed, and I think there is a real appetite for change across the country, not just within the Defence Forces, that things change and we have a zero tolerance on any of the abuses or bullying. We have situations, and we do have very serious crimes that happen that, that could and should go to the Gardaí, but a lot of them wouldn't even be 
that severe. It could be the simplest of complaints that you have around, you know, career advancement or not getting a course. But as soon as you step outside of that system and you challenge the, the, the manner in which you've been treated, that's when the problem really starts to happen. And that's not something that you would necessarily go to the guards with. But if you had an external complaint system, it could be dealt with and addressed in a proportionate manner. Mm. And is that an attitude that's promoted across the board? Uh, I suppose what I mean by that is uh, that if uh, one of the men in the Defence Forces speaks out uh, about something like that, uh, are, are, are they scorned? Oh, absolutely. This is like it is disproportionately against women because there are a lot of additional um, incidents that happen that are hugely inappropriate and of a sexual nature. But it's across the board for men and women, and it, it comes down to does it suit the agenda? You know, if it didn't suit for them to get, for you to get that course or for any of the men to be treated, that's when the, the powers come down on top of you because you have challenged a decision. Sometimes maybe the system might prevail, but generally on the whole, it doesn't. And we're just asking for a fair system. Hmm. Um, when did you decide you wanted to join the Defence Forces? Uh, was it uh, something that happened uh, by coincidence uh, as such or was it an ambition from when you were a young person? It wasn't necessarily an ambition, but I was from a, a strong military family. Um, I have a lot of other ranks uh, in my family. Okay. Um, and an opportunity came up. I had actually studied um, as an engineer so an opportunity came up for graduate engineers in the Defence Forces and, and that seemed like a fantastic opportunity to mm. me where I could use my, my engineering skills and, and follow in my family footsteps. Yeah. So mm. it, was, it was a fantastic opportunity when it did come up, but it, sh- it wasn't it, necessarily... Mm. Um, it should have been uh, a fantastic... Yeah, it should have been a fantastic opportunity, I suppose. Uh, was it? Uh, I mean, I take it uh, that uh, you've all these complaints. I just wonder if you regret uh, having taken that road. Oh, absolutely not. No, the, okay, that's the good. The Defence Forces is a fantastic um, place to work and there are some wonderful, wonderful people and the, the pride that we all have in having served is definitely there and if it was a simple situation of any other company where you just, you had a bad experience and you walked away, you know, you, you could move on from that but it's merely like a vocation. You don't do it easily. You're, you go into a job where you commit your entire life 24-7, you know, to serving your country so in itself, it's a fantastic opportunity, but there are individuals in, um, in there that make your life difficult unnecessarily. So for whatever reason, they take a dis- mm. disliking or you don't conform to, to the image that they require. Well, then things turn really, really sour. Mm. And, um, and that's the difficulties that we have. And like so many cases of abuse, it's the balance of power that's at play in the chain of command. And because they're at the higher end of the chain of command, it makes it all the more difficult to make a complaint. And from what you're telling us, to have that complaint listened to by others for that matter. And I think there's an awful lot of people who are very admiring of uh, the bravery uh, that you and the other women have shown in bringing this to the fore. The Dáil will debate uh, this Sinn Féin motion today and it's also asking uh, that uh, the key stakeholders uh, including yourselves uh, would be re-engaged with and you have a lot to say to government as you've already said today and uh, there will be a lot of support for your motion uh, or for the Sinn Féin motion in in the Dáil uh, but undoubtedly it it will uh, be met with a counter motion from uh, the government uh, and will fail as such. 
Yeah, um, look, we're hopeful. Um, we have spoken with the Minister, we've spoken to the Taoiseach, and they haven't, as they've said, ruled out a statutory inquiry. Um, and we, we do take hope out of that. But we don't believe that this review either needs to happen um, before they make that decision. So we're, we're, still, we're still pushing that this statutory inquiry will, will happen with the appropriate powers and you know, a fair terms of reference that haven't been drawn up by the Department of Defence so the entire system can be looked at. And we're going to keep pushing for that. And whether it comes now or it comes later, um, I do believe that it will come. But this review, as they're putting forward, whether that is to fulfil their own duty of care, that's a side issue and it's not going to do what's necessary. Okay, as you said earlier on, there's an appetite for this conversation in uh, the country. Uh, There'll be a lot of talk uh, on uh, the motion this evening and indeed over the coming days uh, and weeks as a result of uh, the bravery of uh, the Women of Honour. Thanks for speaking to us uh, this morning, Diane. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for your time. That's uh, Diane Byrne, retired Army Captain and a spokesperson for Women of Honour. Michael Reed on LMFM. And back to the cost of living and a people before profit doll motion, uh, which will ask for a review of uh, the national minimum wage. It's being proposed by Mick Barry, who's a TD for Cork North Central and on the line. This is a very good morning to you, Mick. Thanks for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. You're suggesting uh, that the minimum wage uh, should be uh, increased to 15 euro an hour. Yes, I'm a supporter of increasing the minimum wage to €15 an hour. Look, what's after happening here is the government have effectively cut the national minimum wage. Um, They will say that they increased it, and it did increase by 2.9% on the 1st of January. However, um, inflation was running at 5.5% at that point, and inflation packs hardest. Uh, on the low paid, who spend a disproportionate amount of their income on, on the necessities of life. Also, across Europe, the national minimum wage is on average increasing 6% this year. So the Irish government is increasing it at a rate less than half of that. Mm. The second reason why we're introducing this motion is we believe every worker in the country needs a wage increase at this point. Uh, the minimum wage is the floor. So if you raise the wages floor uh, above which wages are not meant to go, it will have a knock-on effect and tend to increase uh, wages across the board. So that's the second reason why we're doing this. Okay, (laughs) that might be the problem that some people would have with your proposal. Uh, There's a a lot of people uh, who would love to be on the living wage, uh, who are living off uh, the minimum wage, uh, which is at 10.50, but the living wage at 12.90. The government uh, plans to do that over the term uh, of uh, this administration, uh, but you're looking to go much further than that. So if you're going to €15 an hour uh, for those who are currently on 10.50, what would that mean? for example for somebody who's on 12.90 now or somebody who's on 15 what what rate would their wages increase at? Well it obviously would increase to beyond uh, the 15 uh, euro an hour rate. You see the starting point mm. here has to be um, what is the sum of money that is needed for a worker to be paid uh, in order to have a reasonable and a decent standard of life. Now, the authors of the report which say that the living wage should be set at 12.90 admitted themselves in their report um, that uh, someone who was living uh, in Dublin and renting, for example, would struggle to live on 12.90 an hour. Uh, And that was before the inflation crisis that we're 
in the middle of at the moment. Mm. Yeah, no, and people really are struggling, and there's no doubt about that. But how all of this works uh, is difficult, I think, for a lot of us uh, to understand uh, because you can go into a cycle of inflation that can spiral out of control. And if, for example, you go in and buy a cup of coffee today for €4 Euro and the person serving it to you is being paid ten fifty an hour and their wages suddenly increase to €15 Euro an hour, well, what's that going to do to the price of the cup of coffee? Uh, maybe it'll well, go let's to have a look at it. Yeah. Let's have a look at yeah. it. So, um, minimum wages have been introduced in many states and cities across the United States in recent years. Mm. And when the issue was first under debate, um, the uh, argument was made by spokespersons for big business and also by sections of the media that it would be automatic that uh, one person's price increase, wage increase, would be another person's price increase and that this would be deeply inflationary. It hasn't proved to be. For example, if you look at, um, let's say, McDonald's, mm. right? The um, the increase in wages in McDonald's was uh, analysed by academics, researchers, professional people, and what they found was that a one dollar increase in the wage at McDonald's did result in an increase in the price of a burger, but the increase was, on average, two cents. Right. right. Yeah. So when you have companies that are making big profits, okay, a, a wage increase can be absorbed. It eats into the profits, but it does not automatically lead to an increase in the price of the commodity the company produces. Mm. Uh, I suppose uh, in the same vein, I think McDonald's pay the living wage, don't they? Uh, and you've some of the cheapest burgers in the same way uh, that the discount uh, supermarkets pay the living wage and uh, would claim at least to be cheaper than some of the bigger supermarkets. Well, that's an interesting example, isn't it? Mm. Uh, well, it is, uh, but uh, getting there is a, a different day's work uh, because there's all sorts of costs for employers and, of course, uh, employers like to make profit rather than uh, pay uh, well, look, out. There's two, ways, there's two ways of getting there, yep. okay? The first way is through legislative change. So, for example, in Germany at the moment, uh, there is a staggered increase in the minimum wage taking place which will amount at the end of the day to a 25% increase, quite the contrast Mm. with what the government are doing here. But uh, I don't have confidence or faith in uh, a Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael Green Party government uh, to make changes of that kind. I think if you look at the comments of the junior minister, Sean Fleming yesterday, he said in public uh, what a lot of these guys say in private, behind the scenes, I suspect, Right, They're out of touch with the struggle that working people have at the moment. It's not the cost of living, it's the cost of surviving in reality. So there has to be an alternative way of getting there. And if you look to the UK, you can see that example, because you have a union there, Unite the Union, Mm. which has won cost of living pay increases for its workers in more than 25 workplaces now, equal to or greater than the cost of living. How did they do it? They did it by organising, they did it by putting in pay claims, and they backed it up by either A, taking industrial action, or B, being prepared to take industrial action unless change was made. And in more than 25 companies, change was made. And what we're saying is that that is an example that should actually be followed in this country. Mm. And do you think Sean Fleming 
uh, was really that out of touch uh, that uh, he was telling them to eat cake or do you think he just minced his words because there's a, a lot of truth in what he said as well and I mean that's why you've got websites like switcher.ie or bonkers.ie you can save a lot of money by shopping around can't you? Okay, let's look at it. Um, the price of electricity for an average household heating the home up about €800. Euro. Price of running a car up about €500. Euro. Price of groceries up about €800. Euro. So those three things alone will probably bring the average household up over the €2,000 mark, right? Now, can you save €50 euro here or maybe even €100 euro there by shopping around? If you put a lot of time into it, Maybe you can, mm. right? But the idea that you're going to come anywhere near to matching those increases by shopping around is a pipe dream. And Sean Fleming knows that, mm. right? It's the reason, it's the reason why yeah. he's been forced to come out to apologise. Well, you, I think I, I think you can achieve a, a level of saving, and I think what happens with uh, the utility companies uh, is ridiculous and disgraceful because there's people who don't use the internet and can't go to bonkers.ie and get the savings, and they can be quite significant. Uh, do you think there should be different rates of pay depending on where you live in this country? Because uh, the cost of living can vary from county to county. If uh, you take the average house price in Dublin, for example, you're talking about four hundred thousand. If you go to Leitrim, it's 158,000. If you go to Cork, where you are, it's 313,000. So obviously, uh, people's uh, need for uh, levels of income uh, differ uh, depending on where they live. Is there an argument uh, for city rates of pay? Um, that can't be an argument for maintaining a, a low-pay regime in this country, which sometimes it is used for, Okay. Uh, there needs to be cost of living wage increases for all workers and there needs to be uh, an increase in the minimum wage. I would argue that the, that increase should be to €15. Euro, okay? um, in other countries, you do have a situation where in cities where the, the cost of living is particularly high, that there is a premium or an extra, a top-up that is paid to people. I'm quite open to that idea. But it has to be from a, a decent threshold, a decent floor, and that argument can't be used as an argument to maintain low pay. All right. Uh, the doll will hear uh, your motion on Wednesday, I think. Uh, we'll leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. That's Mick Barry, uh, who's People Before Profit TD for Cork North Central. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Fine. Now, as usual, for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk, as usual, there's a, a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. And we're joined uh, for the report uh, this week by Sergeant Patrick Smith of Trim Garda Station. Good morning and thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to start with uh, a burglary that occurred in Rathmoylan. Good morning, Michael and all our listeners. Um, Trim Gardaí investigated in Burghley, which occurred in the Rathflesk area of Rathmine Line on the evening of Wednesday, February the 2nd. This occurred between approximately 7.30pm and 8.10pm. Now, CCTV is gathered and has showed a number of males were involved and local inquiries were also carried out. And my colleagues are seeking any information in respect of an Audi A3 that was identified that may be involved in this crime. So we're asking for anyone that was in the area between Larakor and Ratmaline Village, which is the R159, between 7.30pm and 9pm, and noticed any vehicle, and especially this Audi A3 vehicle, or any persons acting suspiciously, to contact my colleagues at Trimgarda Station 
on 046-948-1540. We're going to Navin uh, for the next report of kegs of beer stolen from the rugby club. Yes, we have a number of kegs in the Navin district stolen there. Um, this occurred between the 27th of January and the 2nd of February. Um, kegs of, uh, sorry, taps of kegs from licensed premises including Kilberry, Navin Rugby Club, Ryan's Pub, Bind House and the Churchill. So, Gardaí have carried out extensive inquiries and have established that the Navy Ford Transit 0MN, which is Mike November registration, was involved and they've gathered CCTV from numerous, numerous locations in the area. So, again, we're just asking for any person of any information, especially in relation to this vehicle, or any information about the crimes, um, can they contact my colleagues there at Navan Garda Station on 046 907 9930? Okay, the guards in Navan are obviously busy uh, uh, also investigating uh, the theft of a land cruiser. Yes, my colleagues again in Navan are also investigating the theft of a 192 LH registered black Toyota land cruiser, which was taken from the Ballerys Gold area of Navan sometime between the hours of 12 pm and 12 am on Wednesday, February the 2nd. Again, my colleagues have carried out extensive inquiries and have established that a silver BMW may have transported the suspects prior to the theft of this vehicle. And again, we're seeking any information about this crime. And if you have any information or have seen the silver BMW, would you please contact my colleagues on 046-903-6100. I would also like to highlight that the Garda Confidential Line is also available on 1-800-666-111. Okay, we've a couple of burglaries uh, this week. Uh, the first of these in Dunleer last Thursday. Yes, Dunleer Guardian are investigating a burglary at a house in Clude in Dunleer, County Loud, approximately 6pm on the 3rd of February. Uh, a relative was actually checking the house and uh, while the, uh, the occupant was away and they actually observed that the curtains were now in a different position. So the relative entered the house and observed a male run out the back door. Uh, we've identified that the rear door was the entry and exit point and it had been forced. Um, that suspect actually made good his escape by climbing the rear wall. So we're really looking for information for anybody around the area at that time. And again, if you can contact my colleagues in Dunleer on 041-685-1202. All right. And that was last Thursday, the day before uh, another burglary, this in Anavaki. Yes. Um, between 5.30pm and 540 5pm on Wednesday the 2nd, a black BMW with registration number 07LH was observed parked at the entrance to a private house. Now, the driver was observed wearing a mask partially covering his face. And a few minutes later, two further males were seen running from that private house to get into this vehicle, which then left the scene. The owner of the house subsequently returned home, found that the house had been forced entry and a number of items had been stolen. So again, my colleagues uh, carried out a numerous amount of queries and they gathered CCTV which showed that particular vehicle drive down a lane and left in the direction of Cullyville. So again, we're looking for appealing for any information in relation to this crime and if you can contact my colleagues at Hacksballs Cross on, on, sorry, on 042-9377-142. Okay, uh, we go to Old Castle. Uh, I take it uh, somebody woke up to find their car damaged in their driveway. Yeah, we're especially looking for local information. This was an unusual enough crime because it happened between 6th and 7th of February in a housing estate in Old Castle um, between 9pm and 6am. Uh, a parked vehicle, uh, the, the rear of the window was smashed 
and a local garden ornament was actually used in this crime. Right. So my colleagues in Kells are actually appealing for any witnesses or any local information to be contacted on 046 0820. Okay, so that was overnight, Sunday night into Monday morning at some stage, I take it. That's correct, yeah. Uh, you're, to renew uh, the appeal uh, for any information on uh, the theft of telephone cables, this has been causing some uh, problems uh, for a lot of people. Yes, and again, we just want to highlight it to our listeners. Um, and Gary Sheikhan, again, is paying for information from our public for relation to the theft of telephone cable in the Cavan, Monaghan, Loud and Mead areas in recent months. Uh, these phone lines are often being stolen for the copper contained within the cable and obviously these thefts primarily occur in rural locations and lead to a loss of phone and internet services. So again, we're appealing for the public for assistance and we're asking to be vigilant surrounding this activity. And I just want to highlight to our listeners that works on these telephone cables do not pl- take place during the hours of darkness. So if you notice any unusual activity, especially during night time, would you please contact your local guard station uh, which would be ven- very beneficial. Any information would be very beneficial. And I would just also like to highlight um, there's an incident room now has been set up in Carrick Macross Garda Station uh, to combat this particular crime. And if anyone has any information, they can contact, their, contact them directly on 042 9690190 or any local Garda Station. Okay, Sergeant Patrick Smith of Trim Garda Station, thank you indeed. We'll ter- return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Tony, thank you for your call. Tony says, Sean Fleming's comments are another indication of far out- of how far out of touch the government is with uh, just how difficult life is for the majority of people at the moment. Uh, we could all afford to, to be so blasé if we were all on over 120,000 euro. Uh, the truth is most families, even two income households, are struggling to get by these days with many living from paycheck to paycheck. We need leadership from the government, not arrogance and condensation. Nora says she doesn't believe our public representatives have the first idea of how hard life is for people. The price of food, the price of fuel, the price of heating, the price of power, they've all gone through the roof and the government is not doing enough to help tackle the growing costs. They're simply leaving people to sink or swim. She says thank you indeed uh, for your call as well to us uh, today. Uh, some other comments uh, that uh, are coming to us. Uh, we'd uh, call from Antoinette. Uh, this was via WhatsApp, actually. She says she remembers years ago Mary Harney telling people to shop around. So she doesn't know why there's such a lot being made out of what was said by Sean Fleming. I think it's always been the advice that we shop around. I, I think uh, people felt that the minister didn't realise uh, that no matter how much you shop around, people still can't afford uh, to come up uh, with uh, the cost of living. Peter in Dundalk says, I do shop around for the best prices. Most people do who don't have a lot of money and I think that is the point that Deputy Fleming is missing. Uh, thanks uh, for explaining that to us, uh, Peter. Another call about the minimum wage, this time from Mairead, who's in Drada, and she says, I think there should be a wage increase for everyone because the rise in the cost of living uh, is through the roof and uh, not just for those on the minimum wage. And I think that, uh, as Mick Barry said, would be the upshot of increasing the minimum wage. You 
bring it up at the lowest level it's going to increase at every level after that uh, John Navin says listening to Michael Kilcoyne of the Consumers Association not once did anyone mention the amount of food waste that goes into our bins if people were more careful and only cooked what they needed or bought what they needed then they wouldn't be throwing out food thanks John in Navin uh, there's a lot of food wasted uh, there's no doubt uh, about that uh, and uh, thanks for making that point Margaret says well I agree with Sean Fleming advice to shop around which I've always done I do find it a a bit rich coming from someone who takes home a a net pay of about a thousand euro a week versus 253 in the pension not all people have the spending power he has it's hard to take advice from someone who hasn't really got to watch the euros and cents thank you Margaret that's the final word God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.